Welcome to UX Banter Podcast Season 2. I am your host Dushyant Kanungo. Here, I speak with industry leaders about their journey in design and know more about what inspires them to become the best in the industry. This podcast is presented by Galaxy UX Studio and powered by Galaxy Weblinks, an Inc 5000 organization. Hello everyone. The artist sees what others only catch a glimpse of. Our guest for today's episode is a gifted artist and a passionate designer. Whether it is in the field of entertainment, finance or healthcare, he wants to make people's life easier and better through design. Being in the industry for over 27 years, he has worked with brands like Comcast, Evoque, Barclays Digital Health and many more. Please welcome the senior director of UX design at Comfy, Steve Clef. Welcome to the show stage. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, wonderful to be here. and i i'm just thrilled that you know this is the first episode which i'm recording outside of the place i mean don't worry about the green screen stuff and everything is happening and i was little nervous because you have to migrate the stuff because um it's monsoon season in india and everything is just you know floating everywhere so we have to ensure that you know we uh, do record it with the you know consistency of things uh, just my black t-shirt is not on for season 2 for the first time so <laughs> this is going to be a bit different from the others but that's where we are <laughs> well i'm glad i wore my black t-shirt at least we're we we're keeping <laughs> it <laughs> keeping it present <laughs> all right so steve such a long journey such a the prominent path that you have walked on so how was your journey like what led you to this moment when you become the senior director of design yeah it it was um a number of different things i think uh a couple of um instances of fate definitely played a role so i um went to school for fine art and had been committed from the age of 3 to become an artist and uh had just graduated with a fine arts degree and um took the first job i could my wife and i happened to be living in hawaii and i knew it was it was oh, hard nice. to get jobs there Yeah, it was wonderful. She was going to the University of Hawaii and um what better place to uh to start your life. And so I um took the first job I could. It was at a deli. Um it it was the first place I went to lunch my first day there. Uh, I w- I'm from Philadelphia and as fate would have it, the owners of the deli were from Philadelphia. I had no idea. And they heard my accent. and i uh saw that they were hiring and and they gave me a job and i worked there for a few months and i was trying to get art jobs and make my career there and i was getting very frustrated at the same time i was noticing that there was something new in the world which was um the popular internet the internet had been around uh for 20 or so years the world wide web had been around for 6 or 7 years but it wasn't really well known True. And it was it was on my mind and um one day I was talking to a customer and they seemed pretty interesting. They had also lived in New York. Um so we had a East Coast connection which was uncommon and I asked them what they did and they said, "Well, I I own a multimedia company across the street." <laughs> and this was very, you know, unexpected for me and I said, "Are you hiring?" And he said, "Well, what can you do?" And I said, "Well, I graduated with an arts degree i just kind of as a fallback plan i had taken some classes in photoshop and illustrator um and he said well why don't you stop by tomorrow and we'll see what we can do and so i stopped by the next day 
and um, he gave me an internship. I worked for free. I wound up working uh, six days a week, 10 hours a day, but just soaking in so much information. I learned HTML. That is, that is how it started. I mean, generally, if you speak, 90% of the people would say that that is the path where the learning curve was steep and everybody just, you know, uh, that's how you learned on the job. Back in the day, there were no design schools specifically teaching um, design as we know it today. So that was step one, and I became a, a front-end developer and a designer, and I, um, we moved back to the East Coast, and I was working at an agency, and someone there had told me about something I had never heard of called uh, user experience. And I was curious, and I did some Googling, and um, uh, was just blown away by what it meant. And you know, I had struggled in my career trying to figure out, especially when you're a developer, where do I invest my time? What language do I learn? You know, yeah. today's today's people who are trying to decide if they want to learn Python or not. Back then, we were trying to, um, you know, decide do you want to invest in JavaScript or or another type of, of language. And um, I wasn't naturally a coder, but I realized well, user experience is something I can do forever. People will always need to interact with software, and so if I learn how to be good at this, I will always have potential. In addition. Back then, most websites were terrible, and most software applications were enterprise level and just did you know it was more b two b and it and it was very they were very hard to use and it was frustrating and so I thought, well, if I can make some small difference there, I'm going to take advantage of this um, and so I just threw myself into it. I read every book I could find, I read every blog I could find sure. I um, took courses, and then I got very lucky um, in that the place I was at was had so much work but not enough people i was able to hire other ux professionals to augment my staff right for for six years at that company i was the only ux professional but i was able to hire others and so they didn't know any better i just hired the best in the world so that i could apprentice with them so i hired the nielsen norman group and i hired a company called human factors international and um there were other consultants that i work with and so when they were on a project i would just glue myself to their side and and I would do whatever grunt work they needed in exchange for learning how they they did these things. In fact, there was a, a user experience professional who's, who's still working named Michael Summers. And in five minutes of watching him work, it just transformed how I would do usability testing and user research. So so I really had to cobble it together. Um, and as I said, you know, a lot of it was hard work and, and recognizing opportunity, but a lot of it I was very fortunate because of fate. Sure. I mean, this is the same part that people, well, not 100% similar, but when I started as a, well, they used to call me graphic designer or multimedia designer. Then it was transformed into web graphics designer, then web designer, then say, hold on a second. Uh, web is not just web. Now we have mobile. So they say UI designer. And then somebody was saying that, what are the principle? What is the theory? What is the part which actually makes you learn that how something works? And then comes the experience design part and the theory parts. And, you know, that is a journey pretty much that anybody who has over 10 years uh, of experience, they will tell you that it wasn't the first designation or the path they actually started on. And it acts upon them that, no, this is the way ahead. Because if you don't walk on it, you're definitely going to be left out of the entire the progression of your career. So I while doing the research, we came across uh, that you have a condition called synesthesia 
and how does it affect your life on and how does it make a difference you being a designer yeah um so i i should explain for for people who aren't familiar with it um synesthesia is a name for um a group of different conditions that people can have what it means is that two senses are are intertwined in some way um, and there's a variety of different kinds uh i have a friend who um has a type of synesthesia where he um experiences a taste when he hears names um oh. so 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 i have um several um i see colors when i think of letters or numbers um i uh, see colors when I hear any sound, right? Our voices and any, anything, you know, my fan in the background, I, I see some type of shape and color. Um, and I, um, I also see colors when I, um, when I experience emotions or I, I kind of sense, you know, I'm, if somebody's in a bad mood, I kind of see some, some colors that respond to that. Um, and so I use it in my painting quite a bit. I use it for my color schemes. They're very vibrant and bright. And I'm really just painting what I see when I hear music that's appropriate for the theme I'm painting. But when it comes to um, design, um, it's very helpful in that, um, especially when I'm trying to do information architecture or organize things, because I see different topics as different colors. And so I can group information very quickly um, and see when something's out of place because it's kind of popping up in a different color. Um, it, it used to help me when I was coding because the different, um, especially HTML. Indexes would change color. Exactly. So I would actually, there was an old software program for coding and I would customize it. So the tags were represented, like the table tag would be green in my mind. And so I would make it green when I coded. And so I could just look at the screen and know like the shape of the web page right away. Um, so those are some of the ways that it that it speeds things up for me. Well, I, I'm sure that it has its own disadvantages when you actually live with the conditions like this. But just thinking about it, I mean, as, as UX professionals, we are basically being an impact or understanding how people are suffering from a particular condition. I mean, it, it, I was thinking about that. How must person would design something with? So for you, looking at a painting would mean something completely different. Who is who else is looking at it? And when you are painting, you are basically writing an essay because it can simply translate in your head to say a story or words or sentences and that is you know something that only people who have actually lived with it can actually translate but when you just said that the color coding helps with information architecture organizing of the information that is something we completely i understand that that could you know help somebody to remember that you see a color and there is information that is associated with um, that we do understand and i think that is the closest that uh, our audience or even i personally can actually relate to to that but i do understand that it must be very special i mean being in the creative industry and then having that close relationship with colors amazing i'm very grateful that i have the condition it's 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 really not it, it could be a distraction sometimes um the only real challenge i have kind of my kryptonite is if i'm driving uh on a highway fast with the windows down i get kind of a gray haze over my eyes uh -huh. you know, in my mind. So I keep the windows up. But other than that, it's, it's, um, it, it's wonderful to experience and it does help. And, and you bring up a good point, which I, I hadn't really considered in this context, which is um, it does help when I do research. I can, um, because when you're a researcher, you know, there's, there's different kinds of research in UX, 
you're really either doing needs research or usability testing. And in needs research, you're looking for some type of emotional trigger response, right? There's a real opportunity there. When people get frustrated, you can say, oh, well, here's an opportunity for technology to make their lives better. Here's an opportunity for better design to reduce friction or pain points, all those tools that we use. Uh, and so it is easier for me. I kind of see a flare up of, of color when somebody's starting to get frustrated or, or remember a time when they struggled. Um, and honestly, I've never really thought about that until this moment that, um, that it is a helpful um, part of, of that condition. Just to give you a counter anecdote for it, uh, I was just speaking with a colleague of mine like uh, four days ago, and then he said that I don't understand design. I said, what do you mean that you don't understand? So he just gave an example of something that happened a week ago to him. So he took a design from us. He's a developer, development project manager, and he actually showed it to a client. And client just started the design, looked at it and said, why have you used the color red here? And this guy was like, I have no idea if there is red in this design. And that's when we all realized that he was colorblind. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> so um, that's when, because he was, he just showed a mock. And that is when we realized that that was the one reason why the mocks were never getting converted to the implemented design because that's fascinating. He, yeah. He wasn't, he, I mean, if he had the clue that he is a different color, he would copy the code in his development. But because he wasn't able to translate the design, and that's when when it became evident that like 20 different complaints that I had in my mind, they just washed away. It is just to understand about the empathy and the way we are delivering. He's a brilliant coder. He's an amazing professional at things that he does. But the, our complaint was that, that he wasn't able to translate the design. And when he said that, I don't understand design, it wasn't like he didn't understand. He didn't know that he couldn't see color. And then when he said, he can't see red on the screen. And I'm like, how hard his life must be when you can't do that. So it, it, it's accessibility becomes the core of it. And that is when the, you know, having that connection with your colleagues is important that you do understand that what are the things that they, they are lacking and then how we can make the communication better and aligned. So I had this complaints against him for like six through eight months. But the moment I realized, I'm like, oh my God, I'm an yeah. idiot. And that is how I should be delivering the designs to him because I didn't know about the, the condition that he was suffering from. So yeah. talking about the colleagues, the communication between the colleagues, I think this is one of the core topics that you are quite interested in. You have spoke at the conferences about it. So would you yeah. like to elaborate on, on, on that topic? Yeah, um, that's an amazing example um, of, of how, you know, listening and 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 communication can help you work more collaboratively um, and, and now take advantage of his skills um, and just find different ways to communicate. Um, and it is a, is, a, is a perfect entree into uh, what I'm talking about. So something that I, I learned many um, years ago um, was that in, in user experience, you, you wanna see things through the eyes of the user and UX professionals who are good are, are very committed to that and, and they do that very well. Uh, but I've noticed um, not always when they're working with their coworkers, right? When their coworker is the user, right? So you, you've brought up an interesting point. If you don't mind, I'll probably use that example in the future. Um, but, but I realized that um, you need to translate 
your UX language into the language of an engineer, right? Beyond, beyond your example, uh, an example I used to use uh, in some of these presentations I gave is I would I would make a sitemap for a website and then I would say, you know, we're looking at this and we're saying, oh, okay, there's, uh, uh, based on this configuration here, I can see that the website goes about three levels deep. I'm going to have to figure out how to do nested navigation or or different tools for that. It's it's kind of a broad website. I'll have to see if, if you know, maybe I need to use a, a left-hand navigation, which accommodates more links than, than the right-hand one. Whereas engineers are, are looking at level of effort, right? And level of complexity. And they're looking at um, what you're proposing and saying, is this something I've built before? Do I need to find a library? Um, and um, people who are in uh, business are looking at this and just saying, uh, this website really only exists so that I can either sell a product or I can generate a lead or whatever. Uh, business challenge they have. And so I started changing sitemaps um, to accommodate not only the UX uh, specifications, but things that would matter to engineers as well. So I would identify areas where we needed back-end development in addition to front-end development, little notations there. Um, anytime the data was exchanged, I would um, identify some specifications there. And then from a business perspective, I started overlaying on top of the sitemap little paths that would show where we anticipated people to go, right? This is our, our happy path, as they say. And so they would come in either from the homepage or one of the subpages if they come in through a search engine. And now they're going to go over here to see the main, uh, for example, a description of our product. And then over here, they're going to go for the shopping cart or they're going to go for the sign up. Uh, and that way, when I presented it to uh, someone who cared about business, they could see, oh, my business goal is being achieved here because they don't know how to read a sitemap. I, uh, I actually had done research. I'm just remembering now where this started. I had done research with a friend of mine who um, was a colleague and they went and became a client. And I said, what can we do to do a better job for clients? And they said, well, clients don't know how to evaluate design. They don't know how to evaluate sitemaps. It's not something that they see often. And so that really started me down this path of, how can I think about what's important to them and then weave it into my UX deliverables? So I'm not just talking to myself. I'm not just making these things uh, for me because anyone who's been in UX for more than five minutes realizes that uh, the easy part is figuring out what to do, figuring out the design. The hard part is getting everybody to buy into that design that you know is, is gonna be best for the user. And so- Absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, I'll tell people when I'm training them, when they're, when they're new to the industry, you'll spend five minutes figuring out the answer of 55, convincing everybody that you're right. And so one way to do that is to, <laughs> one way to do that, right. Just to set up their expectations. They know what they're in for when they get started, yeah. right. It's not just the glory of happy users. It's a lot of hard work of advocating for what makes sense. Right. And so to make that easier, if you can go to someone from a, a different perspective, right? Whether they're in product or they're in engineering and say, hey, I'm gonna achieve your product goals by what I've designed, or um, I understand where your strengths are as an engineer and I've taken that into account in my design, they'll nod their head and you'll get started and you can spend time doing the fun part, which is the work as opposed to the part that nobody enjoys, which is the meetings where you're, where you're talking. True. 
this is you know i think we just got the quote of the episode when you said that the 55 minutes and the 5 minutes thing and the 15 minutes go convincing people i think that i really found hilarious and i think that is the uh, the quote that we can take from the the entire experience and that is true i mean you have to be very clear in your communication and i especially bring a lot to the table because even the clients even when we have the expectation straight that this is what they want but actually when you are actually counting streams the ia actually becomes the primary tool to help you understand that how the application will flow where every single page of the node is nested and placed in the hierarchy of the entire application and that is i think fundamentally uh, it brings down to the point that you need to spend a lot of time in in the information architecture itself if that is settled we all yep. agree what are the pages in the screens are going to be we understand the relationship they are going to have with the user stories and then we can just number them out and add details to it so you have uh, the solution even before you go to uh, any consolidation stages and i think once everybody's on the same page till here there is a good chance that you will be able to finish the product in time on budget and with everybody being happy that yeah this is what we set out to do and this is what we achieved in the end uh, just a quick addition to that um two, two quick things so so you bring up a really good point which is if you're always thinking about all the goals Right. If you're thinking about the goals from a production perspective or a development perspective, you're thinking about the goals from the product KPI perspective, it will it'll make the process go faster. And the last thing I want to say is so so I spent some time talking about it from a web perspective. Um, the past 12 years or so, I've been doing more product design and we've taken it, um, especially in my current company, um, to the next level where we've actually broken down the process so that um, there's less weight, there's less handoff. So we've got, um, before you get to wireframes, before you even get to uh, a screen flow, when you get to a user flow, we talk about what the product needs. We talk about what engineering needs. We talk about what design needs at every point so that, um, uh, you know, in a very practical perspective, engineering can get started with data modeling before we've even done screens. Sure. Um, yeah. So they're not, you know, it just alleviates some of the pressure on them when they have to uh, begin engineering. So um, I could talk at length a number of different ways that we try and collaborate, even even in research, right? Ways that will bring product and engineering into the research before we even know sure. what user stories we're going to have or what features we're going to have. I think um, that is where when yeah. you are actually creating any sort of user stories, the proper numbering actually helps. So you can link the outcomes with the actual user story that you are attaching it to. You can actually link an information architecture node to a particular story or even an epic, which will lead to the Jira work. So that interlinking is important because you can cross-reference that what you are actually looking at. So there is a certain node that I don't understand. I need to check out the Jira with that number or maybe a user story that is pointing to that number. In IA itself that we work with the detailing where we have to say for example if you need to add the field names or if there are tabs are going to be on the screen those have to be identified and you know placed and properly quoted that you know this is what this data means and uh, when you look at it everybody you know comes to the table and say yes the engineering is happy the business is happy on the ux side we do understand what needs to be designed at that point that puts everybody in the win-win situation that other teams can also start work before they have something which is um, you know, black and white wireframe sort of finalized design. That's it. <laughs> All right. With that, I would like to move the fun round or fun segment, which is we sure. call rapid fire. So are you ready? I am ready. Okay. I Question hope. number one. Yes. Your last Google search. Um, my last Google search was um, 
brands that have changed their names after acquisition. It's it's um, we're 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 we've got this new product that I um, am going to tell people about uh, later, and uh, so we're just looking at um, uh, you know how much flexibility you have when you're coming up with a name because with, with any product, especially when it's new, you want to move fast. And uh, and finding th something like the perfect name could uh, potentially slow you down. So how can you iterate on that process, right? How can you take a lean process to branding? Cool. So you are a morning person or the evening person? So basically, sunrise or sunset? Um, sunset. I am an evening person. <laughs> Don't like early mornings. Well, I am a father of two, and so I had to learn how to oh, do early man. mornings. Yes. <laughs> well, congratulations. Thank uh, you. Okay, so dining out or staying in? Uh, well, before March of 2020, it was dining out. Now it's staying in. Okay, fast food or fine dining? Fine dining. And that is not possible at the moment because of, are you in the home? Fine dining is the... Uh, we'll, we'll get fine dining takeout. We'll try and recreate some of the experience at home uh, these days. <laughs> I think one of the best answers that I got about it is that uh, neither, but bar food because you go there and all the food is uh, <laughs> like in the perfect amount of carbs and calories that you want to uh, take home. And I think that is perfect that you have a pint and uh, what you have a cheeseburger and 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 cheesy fries with to, to go with it. So it's neither, but you are you know setting down meal at a pub uh, would be ideal. <laughs> yes, that bar um, food also very good. Okay, so what if you win uh, $10 million tomorrow? What is the first thing that you're going to buy? First thing I'm going to buy. I would, um, I, I would pay off my, uh, this is not a fun answer, but I would, I would pay off uh, the mortgage for, for my house and my parents' house. Yeah, this is again the answer that we got previously, but this is not buying anything. You, are just, you, you already bought it. You are just Oh, I could get something new? Uh, yeah. Uh, I would bring the family back to Hawaii. I'd pro I probably would. $10 million, we would find, uh, uh, you know, Amazing somewhere to live in, in Waimea, perhaps. <laughs> but so I think I think Hawaii is, uh, that was the next question on, that I was about to going to ask you, that if you can move anywhere in the world tomorrow, where would you go? And I think the answer to that is already in vain with, you know, yes. moving to Hawaii directly. <laughs> we would definitely return, yes. Okay. Um, with that, I am, I am free with any more questions there, but I think we got a good idea that you have, you're a proud father of two uh, sons. <laughs> you really want to move to Hawaii and going from Philly to Hawaii, I think from that cold weather to warm weather. So you're right now in Philadelphia or New York? Um, I'm Now we're back uh, in Philadelphia. Cool. But you must miss Hawaii. I mean, that is one of the cool places that everybody talks about going and it is always on the list, just like in India, that everybody plans to go to Goa once. So all the friends that get together and they make plan to go to Goa. So we only make plans. Nobody goes there. <laughs> uh, we've been able, we've been very lucky. We've been able to go about every five years and uh, we're due. I think we're going to be able to go next uh, April. Nice. Well, good luck with that and all the best for Thank your you. journey. Because, you know, these are the things which are the you know, minor things that people look up to and hope about that, you know, those things do happen because a lot of nostalgia associated with it. There is Alma Mater, as you mentioned, that your wife uh, went to the university there. So it must be yep. quite close connection that you feel uh, with a place like that. All right. So with that, I'm coming back to the conversation that we were having about uh, co-workers 
uh, alignment with yeah. each other, the communication integration. And I believe there is an app that your company has created about it. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, it, it's called Workplace Connect. And you can, uh, we're, we're doing an early access sign up right now. So you can go to uh, www.getworkplaceconnect.com. And um, we have, we, we saw a need uh, as everyone in the world is trying to figure out how to work now that it's, it's not easy to figure out. Different companies have different policies and, and this product is not really um, for a company uh, where uh, there's a set schedule. We, we, we do have a product that makes it um, more uh, enjoyable to uh, be at work. It's, it's the, the comfy app that we have um but this product is for when the uh there's no set policy and it has fallen on the team manager to figure out when's the best time to come into the office when's the best what's the best group of people to come into the office with um how do we coordinate how do we let people know this is a time i want to come in or how do i find out when other people are coming in there's lots of uh cognitive burden uh there, there's lots of uh difficulty with people coordinating this and so that's what our product aims to do is to use technology um to make it easy for people to know um when to come in and and, and part of what i'm thinking about is uh it, it's sentiment that often informs this it's not often do we want to go on a tuesday it's um what do what do we want to do What's better in the office? Is it better because I miss my friends? Is it better because I need to connect with some uh, people in other departments I haven't seen? Is it better because we've got some type of collaboration that my, my group needs to do? Um, and then you think about our industry, um, you know, often people work on teams and so they're across departments. They don't necessarily wanna just meet with other designers. They wanna meet with the other engineers and the other product people who are a part of their team. Um, and it's not just for technology, but I assume our audience can relate to that uh, in the spirit of our conversation. I wanted to start there. Um, so uh, help us shape the product is what I would ask. Um, go there, we will get your feedback. It's in early days, as I said, and um, I am thrilled. I've been at this company for about four months now and I'm thrilled to be here because it's such a user-centered company and, and everyone in UX knows you either work at a user-centered company or you, or you try and turn it into one. <laughs> and, um, and, and life is a lot easier if, if people are already understanding the value of it and how much easier it is to do better products when you partner with users in that way. So We are um, definitely going to try that product in our uh, company and team. And I would encourage all the listeners to give it a shot. And I think with the level of empathy that you know you, that we talked about between that sort of a collaboration between the uh, between UX designers and the teams or colleagues. I mean, for example, I think this is not just only for the designer or the developer in the IT industry. Any company who is working from the remote uh, collaboration, they can actually get advantage of it. So I think it is it, a great idea to have, and I think we are everybody should definitely. Uh, will uh, get benefited from it can you please repeat the domain once again yes happy to do that uh www.getworkplaceconnect.com okay um so thank you for that i think that is going to be one hell of an app that we are definitely going to give it a shot 
So there is one more thing that I really wanted to uh, talk to you about. That was that you have worked with breastcancer.org and uh, I think, and you have received a claim for the experience that was designed. So this is a, such a cause, which is, you know, people, a lot of people are passionate about and willing to help and, and, and come up with the best solution that there could be. So what should the designer keep in mind while designing such purposeful uh, solutions? That's a great question. Uh, I mean, the first... <laughs> I have a very uh, literal answer, uh, which is um, one, one of the more profound things that I learned when working on breastcancer.org is um, we, in a nutshell, I would say, listen, right? Listen, listen to the patients. I've worked on a lot of um, products that treat cancer. And uh, I've seen that the, the idea that someone who's never experienced it, whether it's themselves or a family member, or even a friend, has it's just very different than what the people who um, are um, dealing with cancer go through. And so I would say, just listen, don't make assumptions. Um, the, the literal thing that I was thinking of is one of the more profound things that I discovered is that there are stages that we designed for um, where when someone first gets the diagnosis, they're just reacting to what has happened. Their whole worldview has changed and they're not sure what to do next. And it's a very emotional time. Um, and so they needed guidance. And so we were very literal and prescriptive with, um, we would give people guides of what to do when they first got diagnosed and where to go and what to think about. After that, they're coping and they're trying to make a plan. And so they're a little less emotional, but it's still challenging and they need some guidance. Um, and then when they, some time has passed, people have done research where they typically know more than even uh, a, re uh, a general practitioner or physician would know. And so they're managing things and they're very targeted. And so we actually used on breastcancer.org and it's still there. I did this work quite some time ago, but it's still remained because it's been helpful. Um, specific interface treatments to address those different types of stages that someone's at. Um, so uh, I would just say partner with, partner with users, be empathetic. Um, don't try and imagine what it's like because it, it's really different when it's real and, sure. um, and then test, uh, the, the greatest experience I ever had as a designer was testing with a patient who used the site after we had, um, launched our redesign. And they said, if I had had this site, I think I would have gotten different treatment than I got. Um, and that's in, in many ways, what it's all about is just trying to improve someone's life. And, um, you know, the people who did have that website after that hopefully had a, a higher level of comfort and confidence of, of what they needed to do. That's really wonderful and, and profound to know, Steve, because uh, we recorded one episode for season two with April star she uh gone through some similar personal experience with cancer um from her personal tragedy her husband's diagnostics to uh which led to the uh the uneven the his demise was very short period and they didn't have the tools to cope with what happened then so after that when she was getting back on her feet uh, she realized that throughout the process she didn't have uh, the tools at her disposal that could have helped them fight it off, be prepared about it. So she also went ahead and created a website called um, Cancer Worksheets for family members. She was like, the experience was so bad, it, the doctors or the physicians could have helped us by just a couple of pages of printouts. 
just to tell us that what to expect out of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, and, I don't mean to, to to laugh, but it's it's on one project for people with late stage kidney cancer that that's exactly what we did is if you just organize some things, it doesn't need to be complex or expensive uh, to try and help people. You just need to guide them a little bit uh, and it will make a a huge impact. So I'm, I'm sorry to have interrupted you. No, no. So this is this is the same thing. Like when she decided that, OK. I couldn't, you know, be, I wasn't helped. We were left at the sea and I don't want this to be the end of the experience because if I can just pass it on into the community ahead, if people who ha are facing the similar situation or the dread that I went through. Um, so that's when she decided to create this website called cancerworksheets.com and you can go there and download everything for free. And it's, it's a resource that she is managing. So understanding the same fact that, you know, breastcancer.org uh, i think yeah. you just explained the similar experience that once when we are designing it, it there is no way that you can empathize unless somebody has actually gone through what what the, what people actually face um so yeah i think empathy here is tremendously uh, becomes the the most important tool that we can actually use but we can only test it out we can actually try it out ask people their opinion making sure that you have the validation not design something that you we don't understand and that is 100% accurate uh, explanation that you just provided that make sure that it is tested, make sure it is validated and ensuring that you are talking to the similar stakeholders at various stages so that they do understand what was it before and how is it uh, at the given point when it is completed and finished and implemented. All right. With that, may I ask that what your advice would be to the budding designers who are just starting the career out and then they're looking up to you because, you know, 27 years in such a wide industry is a big, big and long, long time. So I'm not saying that you're old, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I've done a lot. And so I, I've learned a couple of things. And um, and I do um like to mentor people, um, I, I pretty regularly get requests of, um, hey, I'm thinking about getting into user experience. What what should I do? The first thing that I do, um, I'll, I'll try. There's there's so much to talk about. I'll try and narrow it down to two things. The first thing that I do is explain to them something that I did not understand for a while, and and you had touched on this early in our conversation, which is um, there are different aspects to UX. UX is a big bundle, and um, what you're talking about are it, it people think of user interface design often when they hear about UX. Um, sometimes they'll think about information architecture. Um, but what they don't often think about is is the human factors aspect of it. And that's um, that that's really important. Um, the way that I would summarize that is um, if you think about a chair, from a, from an interface perspective, you know the chair is is its design, it's it's the aesthetic. From an information architecture perspective, the chair is made up of uh, fabric and and metal and plastic, but it only becomes a chair because people sit on it, right? How it's used, and that's the human factors aspect of it. And so I would uh, the first thing that I tell them is, uh, some people work long enough to get to spend time in all these areas, which is what I was fortunate enough to do. Um, I kind of started at UI and then I went into IA and then I went into the UX and the human factors strategy of it. And then I learned how to do research, but you can't do that all at once. It's too much. And so find the one that is most um, 
that you are most passionate about and start there. And you may be fine doing that for the rest of your career. There's plenty of work to do there, but uh, yeah. you, you also might want to move on. But don't, first of all, understand that it's made up of multiple things and then start with one before you try and do them all. So that's, that's the first thing I would say. And then the second thing I would say is um, uh, ask for help. That is how I got to where I was. Oh my I, God, trust me. That's not just for the freshers. That is for everyone. I mean, designers walk with such a big ego that, yeah. you know, asking for help becomes the most difficult thing for any designer to have. And that advice will take you far. If you are starting out, if you are a senior one, even 20, 25 years, yeah. I think that is, uh, amazing advice to actually keep in mind so there thank you go you for that. yeah absolutely <laughs> all right so i i, I think both ways it, it is quite cool that starting and making sure that you find something that you're passionate about if you want to try a couple of things at the beginning do it but then yeah. find the, the, yes it is so wide a stream in ux design that back in the day it was like every the jack of all trades was the the sorry the way ahead and you couldn't yeah. be the master of the one domain. But now, if you think about it, there are specialists who just write the script for the interviews. There are people who just conduct the uh, the user testing sessions. There are people who would just give you information architectures because they do understand the nitty gritties of it. And yes. somebody who is sitting down with designing the entire brand guidelines, they have this niche um, command over the medium that you have to trust them that yes, it is possible. Now think about this graphic designer, there's UI designer, brand designer, and then comes motion artist. Now they actually yes. change the game 100% when they are coming into the mix. And that is why uh, any team would be happy to have the, you know, the sort of variety to carry on rather than relying on one person to actually do the designing and end the, and the angular coding as well. <laughs> yeah. And and there's a lot of recruiting for that. And, and the job market goes uh, in different cycles. I know this, I've been a hiring manager um, for about 17 years now. And um, it's, it's an employee's market for now. It may change. Um, and when it's an employee's market, you can specialize. When it's in more of an employer's market, then they ask you to do everything. You know, the job of six people. Um, just... Uh, make sure that you are um, talking to a place that understands the value of these different things that, that if they ask you to do six people's jobs and you, and if you are willing to do that, that uh, you know, in some ways it'll be as a six as good as if you were allowed to just specialize. And so just, you know, make sure that the expectation is understood there. Um, I did think of one more thing. If I can, if I can sneak this in, yeah, yeah please, please. Uh, uh, advice I got, not not directly from Jacob Nielsen, um, but I heard him say it many years ago, and it really informed a lot of my decisions. In, in somewhat of the early days, he said, we are at Nielsen Norman Group hiring people who have been to the most usability tests. That is, that is how we're looking to um, gauge the experience level of someone, not so much what they've built or designed or done, but who's been in the most usability tests. And so when I heard that, I made it my mission to get to a lot of usability tests and um, found any way I could to do that, whether it was you know, on the street, showing people things, or eventually I was able to perform uh, formal, rigorous methodologies to do usability testing. And it is the most 
uh, helpful thing that I ever did was to to directly watch from users. Only so people who try and do that. Been to user testing sessions, people who have first and experience of user feedback about the design would attest to the fact that it actually matters so much to get to the actual right results. I mean, in in in, in my company and my team, uh, we had scenarios where two designers had a heated debate about that whose solution is better they both came up yeah. with the solution and they they uh, bought wrote me in as a referee to just give the final call and i said you know what this calls for a b testing and they <laughs> like okay let's try it out it turns out they were both wrong <laughs> that, that happens yeah and you know you need that humility there's nothing more humbling than the first time you put something that you've designed in, uh, especially even if you're completely well-versed in, in user experience heuristics. You put that design in, in front of someone and within a couple of minutes, you are humbled and you are enlightened and you are uh, you know, improved as a designer. As it is true. And this is what happened in the end. There were certain elements of one design were applauded by the, uh, the users and some yes. elements from the second one. When we combined them together, and that come that came the design, which was like mind blowing. And everybody, whoever actually looked at it for the first time, they said, this is exactly what the design should be. And any designer gets that sort of validation. That's a win for the whole team. And that is the product yes. that you should be aiming for. And both of them agreed that, you know, next time onwards, we are both designing separately and then mixing them together. <laughs> but that is, then I said, this is not the right approach. You have to test it. And the validation, a validated design Proof back one. So if you put them in front of the clients and say something is not working, we can just always say, here is the testing results in front of you. This is what people said. And this is what the conclusion was about. So yeah, that is. And, and the, the thing that uh, can be challenging when you're trying to do that, especially when you're trying to make it a regular part of your design or your, your product development process is that it would seem that it would take longer, but it actually speeds things up because it ends those churn of, it ends that churn of conversations and, um, and it allows you to just move faster. And um, it, it, it's sometimes hard for, for people to, uh, when, when they go to a company and they're not regularly doing usability testing, it, it's hard for them to get buy-in uh, until you get that first test. Once you do, you can demonstrate this is actually a faster process. And, um, and then people get excited. Nothing really sells usability testing like usability testing. Um, but uh, but it's, if, if you haven't done it yet, uh, the advice I would give someone who's in that situation is um, try and explain how it's actually gonna speed things up even though it feels like more work. It's gonna, it's gonna be better for deadlines in the end. Absolutely. I think these are all great advices and everything that you just, you know, we talked about your, you know, the synesthesia uh, to your experience with breastcancer.org to this point where we were talking about that application about the employee collaboration that you have, plus that how to make that experience better, that that communication have to be streamlined for co-workers in the UX design to the point where the advice for the freshers. And I believe that it is not just for freshers. Any, any, any person who is in the industry can take a note of what you just recommended. And Steve, I believe, I think this was one of the most deep in interactions that we had today. And I would like to thank you for joining us for today's podcast. And guys, anybody who is still here with us uh, because we were talking deep UX and less banter today. 
but i believe that this is the way the industry should focus on any individual should keep the humanity alive the human factors are the key learnings or the key focus areas that we should work on make sure that the user come first and keep designing so thank you and see you in the next time when we are back with another personality from my industry and hope that we'll be as entertained and as enlightened by the conversation that happens the next time just like we did with uh, Steve today so thank you once again Steve thank you so much it was a real pleasure being here and uh, i'm very grateful for the opportunity thank you very much for joining once again so with that everyone have a great day ahead bye